Acts chapter number 16, and a very familiar passage of Scripture. Good to see all of you here tonight. Didn't scare all of you off with the preaching on the end of the world this morning. <laughs> you just must be a glutton for punishment. Well, actually, it's not going to be that kind of a sermon tonight. Um, it's going to be a documentary. <laughs> saying Jesus loves me, I was thinking as I was singing that song, Jesus loves me. Everybody can sing that and mean it. Jesus loves me. And I was thinking about a book that was written a number of years ago by Dave Hunt and a refutation against hyper-Calvinism. He titled the book, What Love Is This? If God Chose some to go to hell and no possibility of them being saved from the very beginning, from even before their birth. If God loves us, what kind of love is this anyway? And I, I just happen to think of that. It's not part of my sermon, but that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, the toxic tulip. The toxic tulip. Tulip being an acronym for the system of theology that John Calvin so famously introduced. In Acts 16, 25, we have the account of Paul and Silas being thrown in jail for preaching the word of God. It may get that way again, folks. We're not done with this life on earth yet. And so it might be that we find some of our preachers in jail just for preaching the simple gospel. So they were in the, in the jail and there's a great earthquake and it springs the doors open. Some, some of the prisoners, the jailer thinks, must have fled. So he's about ready to commit suicide. Uh, because the Roman army, the, the, the legions would kill him because he lost his prisoners. And so that's the context of what we take up. You've used this before if you tried to witness somebody, tell them how to be saved. In verse number 25, Acts 16, 25, it says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all still here. We're here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. How did Paul and Silas know that he could be saved just by placing his trust, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? How did they know? Are they the ones that can decipher who's supposed to go to heaven and who's not. I mean, this was a bad dude. He was a jailer, Roman soldier. Was he even worthy of being saved? He might have been beyond salvation, according to some people. Well salvation meant for this jailer and for 
Anybody who will believe? Or is salvation designed only for a select few who were selected before the world began? Let's explore that system of theology called Calvinism tonight. You need to know this. Don't tune me out thinking, well, this is a theology lecture, and so I'm not interested in theology. This has split churches all across America, and this has caused some people to go off in strange directions. It's caused some to quit even thinking about winning folks to the Lord, and so it's worthy of our study tonight. Let's pray together and ask God to bless us. Father, we do pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for all those who have gathered here tonight. Thank you for the ones who are watching online. And we pray that the sweet Holy Spirit would just give, give unction, give power. Lord, help us to have understanding as we read the scriptures and talk about them tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Writing in the Southern Baptist Convention Life magazine, Malcolm Yarnell who was associate professor of systematic theology at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, observed that tulip theology is causing division in churches. Samuel Lemke, provost of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, warns, I believe that Calvinism is potentially the most explosive and divisive issue facing us in the near future. It has already been an issue that has split literally dozens of churches and holds the potential to split the entire convention. That's what they thought about the Southern Baptist Convention a few years ago, and now Calvinism has permeated even further, not just into the Southern Baptist Convention, but into independent Baptist circles as well. And we'd do well to find out what the Bible has to say about it. When I was a new Christian, I got saved at Brother Sneathern's church in Mount Pleasant, Arkansas in 1980, and uh, I heard uh, just a little bit of talk about Calvinism and what Calvinists believe. And so I found out that, that they seem to believe in eternal security. And I thought, well, that sounds like a pretty good thing. I'm glad that I'm saved and don't have to worry about losing it. I'm going to get to go to heaven. So I'm thankful for that. And then a little bit later on, uh, I heard some more points about it and and some started calling hyper-Calvinism. In other words, some folks are a little bit Calvinist and others are hyper-Calvinist. And so the, the normal Calvinists were okay in my mind. Uh, it's what I gathered from, I'm a new Christian, I'm just trying to put it all together. I thought, well, the, the Calvinists are okay. It's those, those hypers are the ones you've got to watch out for. Because they think God's just going to send some to hell and some to heaven based on his decision that was made thousands of years ago. And then even in Bible college there, I decided that maybe at least one or two of the points for Calvinism was usable, helpful. I mean, maybe just one or two. Because some people, you've heard people say, well, I'm a, I'm a three-point Calvinist, or I'm a two-point Calvinist, or I'm a one-point Calvinist. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't want any points, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, some terms, and here's some terms that you may have heard used, some terms that that relate, now they may not be exactly synonymous, but they do relate to Calvinism. Uh, here's some terms. Calvinism is the one term that I'll use a lot. Then others use the term extreme Calvinism or hyper-Calvinism, and some refer to it as the Reformed tradition of Protestantism. And then sovereign grace is another term, and 
if it's a sovereign grace church, then they pretty well believe in the institutes of John Calvin as he taught them. And then there's Hard Shell Baptists. I used to think a Hard Shell Baptist was just an old, tough fundamentalist that was ready to fight. You know? But that's, the Hard Shells were actually the formal first Hard Shells were Calvinists. And then there's particular Baptists. And you might have heard the term covenant theology. Uh, most of these folks, uh, with, the, with some exceptions, most of them are, they would adhere to covenant theology, meaning that, that whatever covenants were made in the Old Testament to Israel just applies to us because the church replaced Israel and Israel's gone, you know, don't worry about them anymore. And so now we are Israel. That's what the, many of them teach. Well, I beg to differ because the Bible makes promises to Israel that, that are not applicable to the church. We are a separate entity altogether. Now, a Jew can get saved if he trusts the gospel of Jesus Christ and he becomes part of the church, but he's not locked into Old Testament theology and he's not locked into Old Testament uh, Judaism. Uh, they're not doing sacrifices once they get saved. We believe that there's one sacrifice for all times, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so some of these terms may be interchangeable, but they all kind of relate to each other. I read a great article by Curtis Hudson, who's been dead for a number of years. He was an independent Baptist uh, evangelist, head of the sword of the Lord for a long time. And he wrote an article about, about Calvinism. And I really appreciated that article because uh, he really nailed some scriptures down that, that were very helpful to me. And I think will be to you. So I'm going to use some of the scriptures and ideas that he presented to make it clear about what Calvinism teaches and what we need to know about it. Dr. Lorraine Bettner, a famous Calvinist, Reformed theologian, says in his book on predestination, he says, the Calvinistic system especially emphasizes five distinct doctrines. They are known as the five points of Calvinism. And they are the main pillars upon which the superstructure rests. Dr. Bettner further says the five points may be more easily remembered if they are associated with the acronym TULIP. T-U-L-I-P. Each one of those letters uh, referring to a doctrine attached to Calvinism or Reformed theology. And so uh, the first one, the T in TULIP, stands for total inability. Uh, and we'll describe that a little more fully as we go along. Uh, the U would stand for unconditional election. The L would stand for limited atonement. In other words, they say that Jesus didn't die for just everybody, but for the elect and only they can use the blood of Christ. It doesn't apply for anybody else. The I in the word tulip, irresistible grace. In other words, uh, when a person gets saved, according to that theology, when a person gets saved, it's not because they decided to or wanted to or exercised a choice. It was irresistible. God reached down and grabbed them by the nap of the neck and said, you're getting saved, buddy. Wham! <laughs> and you're in the kingdom of God. It's irresistible. <laughs> irresistible grace. And then... The P in TULIP stands for perseverance of the saints. Now that's the one I used to kind of think, well, there's some merit in that. But we're going to talk about all five of those in a little bit and see what standing they have in Scripture. <coughs> Total inability. Let's talk about that one first. T, 
We're going to go through the T-U-L-I-P, TULIP. And the T stands for total inability. By that, John Calvin meant that a lost sinner cannot come to Jesus Christ and trust Him as Savior unless He was foreordained to do so before the world was even began. In other words, if you're saved tonight, it wasn't your choice. You didn't have anything to do with it, with yes or no or maybe. It was all determined by God before He ever created the first man upon the face of the earth. That He decided whether you'd be saved or not. And if you're saved tonight, it was His decision. You didn't have anything to do with it. You couldn't have said no if you wanted to. And you couldn't have come to Him if you were one of the unelect. You couldn't come to Jesus if you wanted to because you weren't elected. That's what John Calvin taught. It simply means when we're talking about inability, I agree that man is a depraved creature. Man has nothing in him to earn salvation. I can't do one little thing to earn my salvation. Can't pay for it. Jesus' blood paid it all. It's all by the blood of Christ. And I agree with being depraved, but in John Calvin's definition, it goes far beyond that, meaning that you're, before you're saved, you are totally dead and you cannot respond to his invitation to be saved. You can't. You just can't. You're dead. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Well, it's true. We are depraved creatures before we're saved. And it's true that we could not earn it. But it is not true that his grace is unreachable to those certain ones that the Calvinists consider the unelect. His grace will extend to all who would come to him. Deceitful. Wicked. Yes, your heart is. And if somebody's watching online and you think you're not a sinner, I got, I got news for you, friend. According to the Bible, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous, no, not one. We're all depraved. I, I, I heard about the preacher brought a wonderful sermon on depravity of the human heart. And when he, fin when he finished preaching about the depravity of the human heart, a guy came up to the preacher afterwards and said, uh, you know, I just couldn't swallow that depraved heart business. The preacher said, well, you don't have to. You don't have to swallow it. It's already in you. <laughs> well, that's true. We're born depraved. Nobody is worthy of heaven. We don't disagree with any of that. But while the Bible teaches depravity of the human race, it nowhere teaches inability. Like the tulip says, you're totally incapable of responding to Christ's invitation. Well, that's just not true. Jesus said in John 5, 40, you will not, you will not come to me that you might have life. He didn't say you could not. If it meant inability, he wouldn't say it in those words. He said you will not. That has to do with your will, your free will. You will not come. Then in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not, would not, not could not, according to the Calvinists, that should have said could not. 
But according to the Bible, he, Jesus said, I begged you to come to me, but ye would not, meaning they had the choice. Not total inability. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, the Bible says, we're, we're hitting a lot of Bible verses because the Bible has the authority, right? Lorraine Bettner doesn't have it. R.C. Sproul doesn't have it. And John Calvin doesn't have the authority. The Word of God alone has the authority to tell us what our theology ought to be. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever will, whosoever will. He doesn't say, Whosoever is elect may come. He says, Whosoever will. We have the ability to respond to the invitation of Christ to come. I've heard it illustrated this way, and I think it's a pretty good illustration. Imagine back in the old days in the pirates of the Caribbean and those things when they were, uh, one sail boat would, sail ship would overtake another and they'd have their sword fights and, and one ship would conquer the other ship. Imagine that this one captain of the ship pulls up beside the other ship has his men to deboard, and they go across that other ship and they start killing all those sailors on the other ship. And the captain of the conquering ship catches the other captain, shoves him to the ground, puts his sword right to his throat and says, Sir, I can kill you right now. I have the ability and would really like to but I also have the ability to say, I'll let you go and live if you surrender to me. Now who is the conqueror? Who is the one in authority? The one with the sword on the other's throat, wouldn't you agree? Who is totally helpless? The one laying on his back with the point of a sword in his throat, wouldn't you agree? And the one with the sword could decide to do it either way. He could kill him or let him live. It's all his choice. He is sovereign. But if that conquered captain looks up with tears in his eyes and says, I surrender, please let me go. And the conquering captain pulls back his sword and says, okay, you surrendered to me. Now you can go and serve me. Would you say that God is any less sovereign if he says to a lost sinner... Surrender to me, and you can go free. You can serve me instead of the devil, and I'll give you a home in heaven. Does that mean God is not sovereign to allow you that choice? The Calvinists say, no, if you, even if you bring it down to that scenario, that still gives you a part in salvation. I think there's a big misunderstanding right there. The only thing that stands between the sinner and salvation is the sinner's will. The sinner can do nothing to earn his salvation. All he can do is surrender his will and say, Lord, I'm yours. D.L. Moody once addressed a large group of skeptics. And he said, I want to talk about the word believe and the word receive and the word take. And when Mr. Moody finished his sermon, he said, now who will come and take Christ as Savior? And one man stood and said, I can't. Mr. Moody said, don't say you can't, say you won't. 
And then another man rose and said, I will. And another rose and said, I will. I'll take him. I'll receive him. I'll trust him. And dozens were saved that night because they did what the one said, I can't. Friend, if you want to be saved, I promise you, those who are watching online, if you want to be saved, there is nothing standing between you and salvation but your stubborn will. You kneel before Christ and tell him, I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve salvation, but I believe you died for me and paid for my sins. I receive you as my Savior. You can be saved. Some Calvinists believe in John 6, where it says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. They say, well, see there? The Calvinists say, see there? He has to draw you or you can't get saved. Well, that's true. You can't get saved unless he draws you. But let's go on and look at the other verses instead of just stopping right there. He said, Jesus said in John 12, 32, And if I be lifted up from the earth, meaning crucified on the cross, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Now, did he mean all in the Bible or is that a fake word? Jesus said, I'll draw all men, and that means that every single person on the face of the earth has had some kind of wooing, some kind of drawing from the Holy Spirit of God because Jesus wanted them to be saved. <coughs> John 1.9 says that everybody has received some light, some light that would cause them to realize that there must be a God and there must be a way of salvation. In John 1, 9, he says, That was the true light, speaking of Jesus, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, is that verse true or is it not? Jesus will draw all men, every man that comes into the world. That means there's not one single soul that couldn't be saved if he responded to the light that God gave him. Sometimes God sends some kind of light from nature. According to Romans chapter 1, read it. And uh, some people respond to that. Like the one native I read about uh, years ago, he was in the jungle where he'd never heard the name Jesus. And he climbed up in a tree one night. He knew that something inside of him was drawing him. And he climbed up in the tree and looked up in the sky and said, I believe you're out there. I don't know who you are and I don't know where you are, but I believe you're there. I want to know you. A few days later... God allowed a missionary to walk into his village and he learned how to trust Christ as Savior. Jesus said he'd give light to every man. So the final analysis, men go to hell not because of their inability, but because of a stubborn will of not receiving Christ and his offer. Well, Teaching that men and women are totally unable to come to Christ and trust Him as Savior is not a scriptural doctrine. And so we say the two, the T in tulip is unbiblical. We reject it because it's toxic. Number two, the U, unconditional election. By unconditional election, John Calvin meant that some are elected to heaven while others are elected to hell. And this election is unconditional, meaning that he alone decided if you were going to be saved or not, and it didn't matter what you thought, whether you wanted to be or not. He decided who would be saved before the foundation of the world, according to Calvinistic theology. And friends, it's all around us. Don't think that this is just some, uh, some weird doctrine that a few people believe here and yonder. 
like Armstrongism or something like that that's fairly irrelevant anymore, <laughs> dormant. This is pervasive. This teaching so obviously disagrees with the often repeated invitations in the Bible. John Calvin, I'm going to quote John Calvin's own words. Not all men are created with a similar destiny, but eternal life is foreordained for some and eternal damnation for others. Every man, therefore, being created for one or the other of these ends, we say, he is predestined either to life or to death. In other words, according to that theology, you're nothing more than a robot or a puppet on a string. You have no mind, you have no will, you have no choice. Calvinism teaches then that God's own choice is that some people be damned forever and never have one chance to be saved. In other words, those who are not elect were created specifically to go to hell. Now there is the Bible doctrine of God's foreknowledge and predestination and election. Those are biblical. And most knowledgeable Christians agree that God has His controlling hand on the affairs of men and and there are sometimes God reaches in and changes things and, and some things may be going in a, in a natural direction just by the laws of nature and God can reach down. That's what we call miracles sometimes in the Bible. <laughs> like the young man that died and Jesus came along when the widow uh, or the, uh, the mother of the dead child was following along the, the casket and Jesus came up to the, to the bier and said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Now, it was natural and normal that that man died and stayed dead. But Jesus doesn't deal just in the natural because he created science, he created biology, he created everything. He even created accounting, Brother Chad. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> God created all that. So why couldn't he just step in and change whatever's happening by nature whenever he wanted to? And he did as he walked the face of this earth, and he can as he's still alive in heaven today, and he can at the request made by prayer. God is able. We agree that God does select some individuals to do certain things in service. He selected Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. That doesn't mean that he saved him against Abraham's will. He selected him to be father of the Jews and God selected different people like uh, Isaac and Jacob and David as instruments that he could use to perform his service. But that doesn't mean that he saved their soul against their will. He chooses nations like Israel is a chosen nation. That doesn't mean everybody in Israel is saved but they're his people that he chose. The apple of his eye now, they'll need to get saved individually just like you and me and everybody else. But as a nation, see, elected as a nation to serve a purpose, to be God's dispensary of the Word of God and the knowledge of God around the world. And then Jesus came along and changed that. 
God knew all that would happen. And he foreordained some of those selections. But he didn't foreordain that somebody be saved before they were ever born or somebody to be lost before they were ever born. God has foreknowledge. Do you believe God has foreknowledge? Can he see everything in the future? Then back in times past, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 years ago, he could look into the future and he could see that you would be saved. But he didn't cause it. He gave you the choice. You have the will to say yes or no. It's like I've used before when a man's standing on top of a, of a cliff, looking over the cliff, and there's a train on the same track as a train over here, and they're coming around the bend, and they're going to inevitably crash together on a head-on collision. The observer standing on top of the cliff, he can see what's going to happen. But did he cause it? No. And neither does God cause people to be saved or lost just because he can see from eternity past into eternity future. God causes things, but he doesn't cause your soul to be saved or to be lost against your will. He gives you that choice. To believe that some people are lost and have no way to help it is a damnable heresy. If you believe that Calvinism is correct in all of its assumptions, then this doctrine of election would have to believe and state that little babies back there in the nursery, there's some of them that were born to go to hell. Do you believe that? Not me. I believe those little babies will grow up and hear about Jesus and some will say yes and some may say no, but they'll have at least the choice. God didn't create those little babies to go to hell. Predestined. Well, there's predestination in the Bible and uh, some Calvinists say that because God predestined us, that meant he predestined us to heaven or hell. There's some things that he predestined and some things he predestined before the foundation of the world. He predestined that if you should decide to accept Christ as Savior, you were predestined then to become like Christ. That's your predestination. Not to be saved, but to become like Christ after you're saved. First Timothy 2.4 says about God, says, who will have all men to be saved, all men to be saved and come to, unto the knowledge of the truth. One of the Calvinists would have to rewrite that in their Bible and say that God's in favor of all the elect coming to him, but not the rest, because they can't get saved anyway. Isn't that strange? That's a strange doctrine. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Abideth on who? Not the one that's created to go to hell, but on the one who refuses to believe. Number three, we've now established that total depravity is not a good doctrine. The you for unconditional election, unbiblical. Number three, limited atonement. In John Calvin's writings, he said, and by the way, let me just throw this in. John Calvin, you know how old he was when he wrote his Institutes of the Christian Religion? You'd think that 
somebody writing on such heavy subjects must have been a scholar of at least 60, 70, or 80 years old. He was 29. Hadn't been saved very long. Yet he wrote all of this that affects so many people worldwide right now. now I have nothing against 29-year-olds just because I'm 30. But I'm saying... A 29-year-old didn't have time studying night and day. He didn't have time to learn all of this stuff. You know where he got it? He got, from, got it from Augustine, the founder, the foundation of the Roman Catholic Church. That's suspect. <laughs> and yet many Protestants and even independent Baptists follow those institutes of the Christian religion today. Limited atonement, meaning that Christ died only for the elect, the ones that he had determined before time that they should go to heaven while the rest go to hell, that Christ just died for this select group and the rest would go to hell. He didn't even die for them. His blood doesn't count for them in that theology. Such language is not in the Bible and the doctrine wholly contradicts many other doctrines in the Bible. For instance, the Bible says in John, uh, 1 John 2, 2, He is, Jesus, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's the Bible. That's the Word of God. And so how can, how can we accept some theology that says Christ just died for this elect group that He knew would be saved and not for the others when the Word of God, if it's true and we believe it is... How could the Bible even be true and say that he was propitiation for the sins of the whole world if God didn't mean it at all? There's a lot of holes in those doctrines. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. Whew, I like that. For all. You know that if Hitler would have repented and turned to Christ before he died, he could have been saved. Because the scripture says that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. You say, well, Hitler doesn't even deserve to be saved. Neither do we. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. John 4, 42. This is the woman at the well. She said unto the woman, Now... We believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world, not just the elect. 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's pretty, that's pretty solid evidence coming from Scripture. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The world through Him might be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The world. Not an elect, esoteric group. John, or Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice there's two alls in that verse. 
<coughs> all we like sheep have gone astray. That, that's the lost crowd. All the lost people turned away. And then there's another all that says, <laughs> and it covers the same group. In that same verse it says, and the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. If all were the depraved that had gone away from God, then the all that he's talking about that got benefit from the blood of Jesus is that same group. Now that doesn't mean everybody is saved. We're not universalists. It doesn't mean that, well, eventually, in the end of time, that God's just going to say, okay, everybody's saved. <laughs> Besides contradicting everything in the Bible... <laughs> That would seem pretty strange too, wouldn't it? <clears throat> that God would do that. We're not saying everybody's saved. What we're saying is that salvation is an offer to anybody in the world. No matter how good or how bad, it's offered to everyone. <clears throat> 1 John 2, 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And then uh, in Hebrews 2, 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Oh, he died for everybody. His blood is not just for that elect group. His blood is available to pay for everybody's sins who will receive him as Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is but one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom, for all. That's getting pretty solid, isn't it? That his blood covers everybody. <clears throat> Bunch more verses I could give you there. Let me go on. The atonement is not limited. Romans 5.20 says, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. A famous English preacher, speaking in an English town, when he finished his sermon, had to try to catch a train to get back to his home and to preach at his home church. And a man that was in the service heard him preaching on salvation, and boy, that, that man realized he was lost, and he chased that preacher all the way to the train station, and he caught him just at the train station. He said, Preacher, he said, I, you preached on coming to Christ for salvation. He said, I, I, I want to come, but I don't know how. Can you tell me how? And explain it to me more fully. The preacher said, that's my train. It's pulling out. I've got to get on it. I've got to go. I've got to go. This is the last train. I've got to get on it. And the man said, but please, I have to know how to come to Christ and how to be saved. Well, the preacher said, go to Isaiah 53, 6. Go in at the first all and come out at the second all and you'll be okay. The all that's all lost and the all that credit, get credited the blood of Jesus, that all. Number four, irresistible grace. The T is wrong, the U is wrong, the L is wrong. Now let's see what else is un, unbiblical. The T-U-L-I, irresistible grace. The fourth point in Calvinism is ir irresistible grace and John Calvin defined that to mean that God simply forces people to be saved. Irresistible grace. The word irresistible is just a little bit obnoxious, isn't it? I mean, irresistible grace I mean, it's like he just grabs you. Uh, can, can you imagine a kidnapper 
stops on the side of the street. You're walking down the sidewalk and the kidnapper jumps out and grabs you and tries to drag you into the car. And you say, no, 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 you're resisting. And the kidnapper says, yes, you are. You're coming whether you want to or not and drags you into the car. That's kind of the picture of irresistible grace. Sounds like if somebody doesn't even want to be saved, you got to get saved anyway because I said so. Well, that's not the God we know. Irresistible grace. He forces those he elected to be saved when he's good and ready and you don't have anything to say about it. According to their doctrine, faith doesn't come into your heart first. It comes in after salvation. You're saved according to Calvinist doctrine. You're saved because you're elected. When he saves you, you can't resist that grace. And it's right after you're saved, then you'll have faith. That is backwards to what the Bible teaches. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved when we say yes to him and not by some forced act that we didn't even want to be involved in. You see, this doctrine is not a doctrine of the Bible. It's a philosophy of John Calvin, a philosophy. Most of what they teach is nothing more than philosophy and they find some verses that they try to match up to it problem is those verses are not in the proper context. Their inter- interpretation suffers and does great damage to the word of God. Proverbs 29, 21 I want to show men can resist. Now they say that if you're elect there's nothing you can do about it. You're going to get saved whether you want to or not. But you can resist according to the Bible. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Often hardening his neck, often reproved. I sound like if God had elected them, he wouldn't have to tell them over and over again. (laughs) And it does say that you can resist because he says, After he has reproved them over and over again, they'll be destroyed without remedy. So that resistance kept on until it went past a deadline where God had to lower the boom. Often reproved. Proverbs 1, 24 through 26 says, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set it not, all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. What's he saying? They resisted. He said, you would not. He said, I called and you refused. See, this is against the Calvinistic doctrine. They say, you can't refuse. You are elected and you can't resist his call. It's an irresistible call to be saved and you have to obey, robot. You can't say no. But here the Bible says people resisted over and over. John 5, 40, Jesus said, Ye will not come to me that ye may have life. Will not. Resistance. It's not irresistible grace. You can resist the grace of God. Contrary to Calvinistic doctrine. 
God offers salvation to all men. Titus 1.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Irresistible grace. Is it a biblical doctrine? Not at all. If I... Let's see. We're going to play. (laughs) This is a bag with a sandwich in it. This sandwich is a spinach and tomato sandwich. Will you take it, Chad, and eat it? No, I didn't think so. (laughs) I could have gave it to him if he'd have said yes. He had the choice. But he refused. And likewise, those who have been offered salvation from Jesus Christ can resist. They can refuse. Now let's come to the last one, the the perseverance of the saints. This is the fifth, T-U-L-I-P, perseverance of the saints. Perseverance. I thought for a while that just meant eternal security. I believe in eternal security. I believe when you get saved, you're not going to lose it. If you've ever got it, you're going to keep it. Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You're never going to lose it. He says that he puts you, he puts you in his hand, in the Father's hand, and the, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and not the devil himself can get you out. Man, you're as secure as if you were already in heaven. I believe in eternal security, but the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is something else. Let me tell you what John Calvin said first. Perseverance, according to Calvinism, is that if you're one of the elect, you've truly been saved, then you'll act like it till the day you die, and you'll persevere until you make it. In other words, <laughs> it depends on whether you're looking back or looking forward, but this almost sounds like doctrine of works. Your works have to prove that you're saved. If the works are not there, you didn't persevere, then you're not saved. Now, I believe that there ought to be some fruit in people's lives. I, I, I wish we could see fruit in every, every Christian's life. But the honest truth is, somebody like Lot didn't show much fruit. The Apostle Peter, when he denied Christ, he said, I'll never forsake you, Lord. I'll never forsake you. These other guys will, but not me. I'll stick with you to death. And then he ran like a scared rabbit and sat down at the devil's fire and denied the Lord. Boy, did he make it to heaven? Would you think on episodes like that, you wouldn't think he persevered very good. (laughs) And we could name a lot of other. What about David, Bathsheba, and murder? He didn't persevere so good. But yet, the Bible teaches when you're saved, you're always saved. I read a a book when I lived in Denver. I was going to do a series of messages on the doubt question, people doubting their salvation, and I, I bought a book by John MacArthur. He's a Calvinist and his book about doubt. I was going to teach other people how to get over doubting their salvation. When I got through reading John MacArthur's book on doubt, I was doubting my own salvation. (laughs) 
because this perseverance thing came in there and it's like, boy, if you ain't doing this and this and the other thing, if you're not doing it the way I say, you're not even saved. Not persevering. And man, it didn't make anybody doubt their salvation. Perseverance. Here, here's, here's what I believe. I don't believe in perseverance. It's not something I do. It's preservation. <laughs> preservation. The preservation of the saints, not the perseverance of the saints. Preservation. You ever eat strawberry preserves or preach preserves or preserves uh, made out of apricots? Boy, you open that jar up and eat them. They don't tell how many weeks or months, maybe even sometimes years, those things have been in that jar, but it's sealed up. And you take them out and eat them, and boy, they're just as good as they were when they were canned. Those, those peaches didn't persevere. They were preserved. The peaches didn't do anything. Whoever canned them, put them in the jar and canned them, that's who preserved them. You know who is the author of your salvation? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one that preserves you. And there's nothing you can do to keep yourself saved. It's what he does. In Jude 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. I'm glad I'm preserved. <laughs> if you're saved, you're preserved. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, your whole, uh, pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God's the one does the preserving. And so I don't... I, I don't adhere to any of the points, the five points of Calvinism, none of them. Uh, just because the Bible teaches eternal security, John 10, 27, 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's eternal security. That's not something I have to do. That's something he does. So I disagree with all five points of Calvinism. I don't say the Calvinists are not saved. I don't think they say that we're not saved. Well, some of you I doubt, but <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> it's not that they're not saved and just like people who believe in eternal security and reject Calvinism. Some may be truly saved and some may not. Some Calvinists may be truly saved and some may not. But it's funny though that all the Calvinists happen to turn out to be one of the elect and all of their kids turn out to be one of the elect. That's odd. <laughs> none, of them, none of them has a baby born and say, boy, that one is, that one is damned for hell. There's nothing we can do with that one. It's funny how all of their, their families are all elect. They may very well be saved, but they're wrong about how you got saved and what keeps you saved. And they're wrong for teaching a damnable heresy. Universal teaches, universalism teaches that everybody will eventually be saved. And uh, this, again, Lorraine Bettner was a famous uh, Calvinist. He said, <clears throat> there's only three ways that you can view this either through universalism where everybody in the whole earth gets saved or number two, Arminianism where you get saved by grace but then you can lose it and get saved again and lose it and get saved again and lose it and get saved again and lose it. That's Arminianism. 
He says it's either one of those two or number three, Calvinism. I don't like to be put in a box like that. I am not a Calvinist. I am not an Arminian. I'm not a Universalist. I'm a Biblicist. I believe this book has the truth and nobody has to put a label on me to tell me what I believe and which group I belong in. I don't belong in any of those. That's why I'm an independent Baptist because I'm independent with a little I. Independent. We believe what we want to believe from the Bible. We interpret it. We're priests. We're, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. And we can go before God and take this word and we can read it and ask him to help us understand it. I'm a biblicist. I disagree with Calvinism. And I do despair over the fact that it has caused so many splits and it's invading so many churches. Preachers fall victim to it. They used to think, well, everybody could get saved if they would come to Christ. Now they don't. They've changed. And if it's that pervasive, I think it's something that needs to be preached every once in a while. We need to know that God is a God of love. And if he created some people to go to hell before they were even born, then I would have to ask with Dave Hunt, what love is this? They would create those babies back there, some of them to go to hell. Some of you couldn't get saved. According to Calvinism, you couldn't get saved if you wanted to, if you're not one of the elect. And so it needs to be taught. The truths of the Bible need to come out so that we have a handle because the Scripture does warn that damnable heresies will creep in. Wolves will come in. And they can creep in through your family. They can creep in on the job where you work. They can creep in through your friendships. They can creep in through your church. And if we know what we believe and we hold it strongly, when the wolf comes... We can blow the whistle. <whistles> woof, everybody, woof. And we'll know to watch out for the wolf. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for the scriptures that teach us about your love. You're a God of love, yet you are a God of judgment. But you don't judge those who had no chance to respond to your love. And Lord, we, we find it grievous that some have maligned your love so badly that it makes you look like a, a tyrant, a capricious God like the mythical gods of Greece. Lord, we believe your love is real and that you loved every sinner in the world. And that if we give out the gospel, we witness to someone, we believe with all of our heart that they have a chance of being saved if they respond in faith. We don't presume to know that there's people out there that just might not could get saved if they wanted to. We believe they all can. Lord, we believe that's what you teach in your word. We pray that you embed it strongly into our heart. 